Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits, now, introducing your host, world record holder and best-selling property author, Mark Ironson. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. I'm co-founder of Progressive Property. I'm with my business partner, Mark Homer, who's also co-founder of Progressive Property. Now, in this video, we're going to go through our top 10 predictions for the 2017 property market. I've got them on my rather small iPad. So we're going to be discussing landlord reactions to the buy-to-let tax changes. We're going to discuss prices in London and the rest of the UK. We're going to discuss property training. We're going to discuss outsourcing and a, a leveraged lifestyle and some of the new technologies we see coming into property. We're going to be discussing construction and labour costs. We're going to be discussing HMO landlords, the service accommodation category, which has seen a big growth area, Brexit fallout, we'll look forward to that one, commercial property, and then we're going to just discuss lending. So they're the 10 things we're going to go through. So before we get into those, I've been in property now 12 years, Mark, a couple of years longer, 14, maybe 15. Uh, Mark's been in business over 20 years, uh, me about 15. We're both in our sort of mid to late 30s, me a bit later than Mark. So I think we've got some good experience. We've bought, sold and managed about 700 properties. Because these are predictions and they're from our experience, they're not necessarily gospel. I don't really normally like doing predictions, I normally stay out of that, but we get asked a lot to do our thoughts in the market. We want to kind of get rid of some of the fear that a lot of people have. So I don't necessarily see ourselves as experts, we're always learning all the time. But hopefully you'll enjoy our discussion and we'd love you to carry on the debate. There may be some places to post comments or questions below this video or you can contact us in the Progressive Property community because we want to debate these out and we want to get your thoughts. All right, Mark, so let's start with the big one that a lot of people are talking about in the buy-to-let sector, which is these tax changes and Clause 24. So can you explain what Clause 24 is, what the tax changes are, and then what you think the repercussions of that will be? Okay, so in basic terms, the, the, the main change or the main change we've already seen is um, stamp duty going up. So there's 3% extra on all stamp duty or on the stamp duty you would pay on a buy-to-let property or a second home. On top of that, any purchases above about 930,000, have gone up as well. So stamp duty's gone up a lot. That went up in March 16, and since then there's been quite a big change. Coming forward to April 17, we're getting some other changes, which are the inability to offset all the mortgage interest against the rent. So that stuff, that's, that's coming. Yep. Um, that's going to have a, a big impact because some people are going to be paying more in tax than they're actually receiving as profit. There are right. ways around it. Lots of people are going to incorporate, they're going to move to limited companies or, or buy new properties in limited companies. And how does that help? Well, effectively, it sidesteps most of these new rules. The, yeah. the stamp duty is unchanged, so there's still the extra 3%, even if you're buying a, a residential investment property. But the, the, you're able to offset all of the mortgage interest against the rent for tax purposes within a limited company. Okay. So, so that, that's the main change, but limited companies sidestep that. All right. And I know you've been looking at moving quite a large number of our properties. Personal name, 
yeah. into limited company. Yeah, true. And you're the reason for doing that, or looking well, into that? The, the main reason is just so we can offset all the mortgage interest against right. the rent um, and for, for tax purposes. Yeah. And then, are, do we have to pay stamp duty? Is it seen as a sale? Ordinarily, you would have to pay stamp duty, but there are some ways around it using um, Section 15 of the 2003 Finance Act. Right. It's paragraph 18 and 20 allows a relief for you to avoid stamp duty in certain circumstances if you've been running it as a partnership stroke business. Yeah. And really you need to sit down with an accountant to go through that in a lot of detail to work out whether you're eligible or not. Okay. And the second kind of tax that just quickly on the accountant yeah. bit, is that a generic accountant or is that is I there would more definitely see a, a property accountant on one who is well versed in this specific tax and these right. changes. I know when I first started going to see accountants, you know, about these changes, it became quite clear to me that they were finding their way and they didn't really know right. what to do. Yeah. Uh, if we fast forward pretty much a year now, I know of a few accountants who have been putting these transactions through, incorporating portfolios, and you know they've been writing letters to uh, HMRC. They've had barristers in to give them opinions on things. So it's those kind of accountants who have really worked on this. Yeah already incorporated quite a few landlords and, and, and really you know, dug deep to find answers to all the questions and, and gone to the right sources to get the right opinion on yeah. things. Yeah. Okay, so are there any downsides of moving into a limited company, having your portfolios in the company and not in your personal name? Well, there are downsides. When you own them in your personal name- and, Which we used to do for years. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually this would be one for you, Rob. The, the, the big upside is you know, we're gonna be paying 20% corporation tax instead of 45% personal tax. Because you've been asking me to move some of mine in for ages, haven't you? Or you think I should? Move some of your... Yeah. Personal company, personal properties oh, into yeah. a company. Well, yes, there's that. But, but, but also when it's personal, obviously you have access to all the money. You can just draw it out as you like yeah. and do whatever you want with it. As you move into a limited company, the taxation within the company is only 20% and it's gonna to fall to 17 right. in the next few years because the government's bringing it down. Yeah. But the issue is, if you wanna take the money out of the limited company, you've got to pay then tax on dividends, which is, which is you know, quite punitive and it's quite difficult to get it out. Yeah. So being within a limited company is awesome for paying less tax if you, you don't draw it out. Yeah. You know, for that reinvested uh, compound effect. Yeah. So you know, if you're only paying 20% tax each year, well, you've, you're up. 25% on, on personal tax, yeah. and all that money can be reinvested. So then you're getting reinvested returns on the tax that you saved, and that just goes on yeah. and on and on, and it snowballs. So for me, that's quite exciting. Um, so, but how do you take the money yourself sometimes? Well, I mean, the, 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 there are various ways, and you, you need to sit down with an accountant to work that out. If it's lower uh, amounts of money, then you, know, you, you can still pull it out, and there are you know, tax. Yeah. I mean, so just to jump in, yeah. I meet landlords every day, quite experienced yeah. ones who still don't know all the things you can legitimately offset as an expense. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people aren't legitimately off, offsetting all they can, yeah. can do. If you draw less, but over time, over your lifetime, you know, every year you're gonna get tax allowances for release of income from that company. Yeah. And uh, you're gonna be paying lower incremental rates of tax. So yeah. th there are ways there and there are other ways, you know, which, which will be specific to you and you'll be able to sit down with your accountant, go through everything and, sure. and, and, and you, you know, you'll, you'll have to find other ways of drawing it out. You can lend money from that limited company to other limited companies that you have right. for further investment, for property or for, for your business or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
and you can you can pay dividends between companies as well. So you might have a company just in your name, which isn't in your business partner's name or your property company or whatever, and you can draw draw the dividends out of any of the other limited companies yeah. which your company owns, free of any div- uh, tax on dividends. Right. So that that's quite positive. So in our portfolio, we might end up having like five different companies because there's yeah. my portfolio, yeah. there's your portfolio, yeah. there's our joint portfolio, yeah. there's yours and your stepdad's yeah. portfolio, yeah. And, and you know there's mine and my exactly. mum's portfolio. So yeah. they'll all be separate companies. Yes, yeah, exactly. Now, one of the downsides to that is A, paperwork. Yeah. Each time you have a tax company, I know, it's tax return, it's annual return, it's confirmation statement, it's our oh, accountant yeah. wants this, that, the other, and then that's times six. Yeah. So there's quite a lot. We kind of have to of, do that anyway, don't we? Well, because of the volume of properties. Y- y- well, you just put it on your personal tax return, and it just gets divided by two. Right. So not no, there's less paperwork with your personal tax return. Yeah. There's a lot more reporting with a limited company. Yeah. Sorry, what I meant by that was because yeah. we've got properties in different partnerships or different people. Yeah. I we couldn't have a company together. Yeah. And it have my mum's or your stepdad's portfolio properties no, within that, could no, it? No, not... Because no. people do joint ventures, don't they, with different people? Yeah. So are you recommending that they have a separate company for Rob and Mark properties and then, yeah. say, Rob and Harry properties and Mark and Tom properties? That is the clearest and the, the, the normal course of events. Some people might have a partnership agreement or a deed of trust or something yeah. like that, but... You know, if you're going to build a reasonable size portfolio, it's better to have a company where everything goes in and out of that company yeah. if the ownership is different. Okay, fine. So let's now go to these uh, the, the supposed lack of um, relief on interest yeah. and what you think that means. Because you stated earlier that it might look like we're going from a profit to a loss on a you know a fairly low margin single let, and that could be a problem. So A, is it a problem and, and are there ways sort of around that, if you like? Yeah, so for people who don't have any mortgages on their properties, it's of no consequence yeah. because they've got no interest to offset anyway. But, you know, for somebody who's relatively highly geared, you know, they're paying quite a lot of mortgage interest in comparison to the rent they're receiving. And, they've, you know, they, they may end up with a tax bill which is bigger than the net rental income that they receive. Were you surprised about this change? Well, I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> the first person that told me about it, you know, I just kind of looked at them and thought, well, said, yeah. it'll never happen. I never thought that would happen. It's sort of taxing on loans, essentially. Well, it's, it's a tax on turnover. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's nonsense. So, I think... So, how do we turn the single lets back into profit, then? Well, you put them in a limited company. Okay. Or you might pay some debt down. Yeah. I mean, some, some accountants would... If you sat down with an accountant, you know, and you maybe had just one or two properties and there wasn't a major amount of leverage on them, they may say, just leave them where they are or, you know, pay some debt down on them. Some people won't be moving into a limited company if they haven't got that much mortgage interest offset. And the other critical thing is what incremental rate of tax are they paying? Are they a basic rate taxpayer or a higher rate taxpayer? If they're, they're only paying a low rate of tax anyway this won't make much difference to them. Yeah. Whereas if they're 45% taxpayer already, or they're just on the threshold, this could push them into 45% tax, yeah. then you know they're gonna have a big bill and it's gonna be worth incorporating, especially if they've got lots of properties. Okay, there's quite a lot of talk, and I must admit from a common sense point of view, purely on the numbers, uh, I thought, well, maybe we could adjust our rents up a bit. 
Uh, you and I don't put our rents up a huge amount. And we are at the moment. Yeah, okay. Now, of course, we've got to think of our tenant as well. So it's yeah. not just like, let's slap it all onto them. Yeah. But in a way, they could be the victim yeah. if the landlords are putting their rents yeah, up. Yeah, they the will be the victim, yeah. The landlords have got to make sure there's profit. Otherwise, yeah. what's the point in doing it? So you're saying we're putting our rents up at the moment? Well, you know, it's not you and I putting it up on properties that we already own. We, pro- we usually, maybe we'll put them up 25 quid every every couple of years. But you're right. And that's right. on a, what, 550, 600 rent? Yeah, we're pretty soft, actually, because yeah. if someone's been there for years, we'd much rather they be happy and, and try and keep them. Yeah. But on new properties, you know, we're developing stuff at the moment. I'm bringing rooms on at the moment that a year ago were renting at 450 and 475. Yeah. We're now getting 500 minimum on those. On some, we're getting 550. We've just let a room at 625. So you're saying the room rates are almost as high or more than like three bed cheapy single lets? Well, three bed cheapy single lets two years ago, average rents 500. 525. Just, if you don't know where we're from, just so you're watching, we're from Peterborough. So this is not average London, it's a lot more. Up north, it might be less. So these yeah. are council, ex-local authority, three-bed houses around Peterborough. Two years ago, might have been 500, 525. A year ago, 550, normal rate of growth. Today, 650 already, yeah. that's what they're achieving. Already talking, some of them are going at 675, and they're already talking about... Uh, 700. And do you think this is a result summer. of this? There's no question. Yeah. The, this, the, 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 I suspect that a lot of it is, is the media, you know, the, the negative talk yeah. around taxation for landlords. But I think even more immediate, and, and you know, the, 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 this is a direct result, I think, of the stamp duty going up in March. The stamp duty went up by an extra 3%. And I think that put a lot of landlords off buying. Mm. There's um, lots of demand from, you know, tenants and it's still growing, the, the demand is. But clearly the, supro- the supply of new rental properties that has been delivered over the, the, the past few years just, ha- just hasn't been there since, since March mm. of uh, 16. So that's fallen off a cliff yeah. and, and rents have started reacting. Right. Uh, and I think they're going to continue. So net net then, do you think we're any worse off? Net net, I think you and I are better off right. because we're getting higher rents. And I, I can see what will happen is when our tenants move out, we're going to see rent rises of at least 100, 150 quid a property. Which is like 20% or something like that. Yeah. It's quite that, a big jump. Yeah. yeah. And any new properties we're bringing on, you know, are, are much higher. The other thing I suppose we do we do with some tenancies we say all right will you sign a 12-month tenancy if you won't then your rent's going up another 10 pound a month um so we'd give them a bit of a choice there that can work it up slowly over time so so generally for the average landlord are you saying the net difference isn't that much well it very much depends on their tax situation you know i've been through the, the calculation with various different landlords and the amount of extra tax they they pay varies widely depending on how much leverage they've got, yeah. you know, how much mortgage interest they're paying, and how much tax, what, what percentage tax rate, incremental income yeah. tax rate they're paying. So for some, it's actually a benefit. Yeah. You know, for those who have not got much of a mortgage, and I don't know, they're, they're, they're paying a low rate of tax, they're, they're making a lot more money. Mm. But for those that have got much more, you know, in terms of mortgages, you know, they, they, they may be worse off, but I suspect it's reasonably short term uh, and if, you know, those who've got a portfolio move into a limited company, they're going to be much better off, aren't they? Because they're going to be getting higher rents and they're not going to have to pay any of these um, 
they're going to be able to offset all of the mortgage interest to get against the rent. Yeah. Clearly, the stamp duty, there's no way around that. 3% extra. Well, you know, on a 100, 150 grand single let, it's not loads. It's three or four, five grand. You know, people put it, put it down to the cost of, you know, buying or get a bit more off the purchase price. With what we're doing, where we're buying commercial buildings, we're unaffected by that. Commercial yeah. buildings uh, for conversion don't attract an extra 3%. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I love buying stuff and developing it, yeah. especially at times like now when there's big stamp duty. Yeah. Uh, just done it on my own home. So we'll come to the, that on number nine. Yeah. So because I want to move on to number two in a moment. Just one thing I want to address, and I think this is regarding any change in property. When these changes were in, there was on some of the forums, some of the groups, some, you know, some of the landlord communities, there was a lot of fear, wasn't there? And a lot of people are like, doom, death, over, single let, dead, uh, out. And uh, I've heard that being said a lot. You know, I remember when um, Salem Rent Back got regulated and there were a load of landlords that were sort of out. And, you know, there's been instances over the years where there's been a change and generally, there's an upside or more upsides that balance the downside. So for example, we're going to talk about service accommodation, which might not have been, people might not have been doing that as much if it weren't for these changes. We're going to talk about commercial property, which uh, people might not have been doing as much if it weren't for these changes. So can you just talk about that just briefly, all the fear before and the reality and just kind of what you think about that? Well, you're right, it happens. This all happens periodically. Since I've been in this game, you know, we had the sale and rent back stuff happened. And then we had the credit crunch, which was way bigger than any of this stuff. Mm. And of course, buy to let was dead for many years. We had it in the newspapers. You know, I used to see people in the street and they'd say, you know, How, how's life? Oh, you're in property, are you okay? Yeah. And, and you know, it was, it was generally- It was kind of quite good for them to think that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, less competition. There were so many cheap deals. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we bought a lot of great stock around that time. Yeah. But, you know, uh, the, the, that was a period where the, the masses kind of, Thought it was a bad thing, but actually it was a great time to get in because it was all on sale, really, really cheap, and you, you could ask, access it for not much money. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the people were saying, well, you can't get lending anymore. Lending's all finished. It's all stopped. Yeah. But the reality was lending was still there. It just, just changes. To, yeah. yeah, you just had to go to, to more banks and, yeah. and find new lenders. As long as the deals were good enough, there yeah. was always a bank that would lend, maybe at lower loan to value or, or, or whatever. And there was a lot more private finance, wasn't there, that came into the loads market? More, then? Loads yeah. more, loads more. So you had that, obviously interest rates went down, which helped massively on the cash flow and yields increased massively as yeah. well. So there was the downside on the capital and the lending, yeah. but there was the massive upside on A, because they were cheaper, you were getting in at a much lower level, A, B, the yields therefore were higher, Rents sort of went up a, a little bit. Yeah. Interest rates came down a lot, and it's you know it, it just made it a better market to get into and yeah. a much lower risk market. So, so I still think there'll be some upsides come out of all these changes. Well, Don't know, you know, I can't predict them yet because it's still quite raw. Well, I can but, tell you straight away that the, the income and the yields now are going to soar. I'm yeah, sure of it. Yeah. I can see the evidence in our letting agency. You know, people talk about stuff. Rents will go up and. You know, there's all this, all this load of hogwash in the media about what's going to happen. And you know what it's like. Predictions are often wrong. Mm. And until I see the evidence, I tend to, I keep one eye on it, but I tend to reserve judgment. But I am seeing those rents growing very strongly at the moment. Yeah. And I suspect it's happening throughout the, mid, uh, yeah. throughout the Midlands. And what you see with prices, people think prices are like, 
you sort of steadily up and rinse and steadily, but they're not, are they? They, they do nothing no. for ages and they go like that. Yeah. And then nothing for ages and, and, and sort of the moves are quite quick. Yeah. And you're obviously seeing that. Okay, great. So we need to move on to number two. So let's talk about prices in London versus the rest of the UK, because I think we've both got some thoughts on that. And that London's been strong until recently. So just tell us over the last sort of couple of years what you perceive's happened in London. Yeah, so the last couple of years in, in prime central London. So, you know, the really sexy stuff, I don't know, might be Knightsbridge or... Zones 1, 2. Yeah, Mayfair or Kensington, Chelsea, all, the, mm. all those really, really kind of primey areas. The most valuable, where the most valuable property in the country is. Those areas have been falling in value. So properties have, have been dropping. In the last how long? Mm, yeah, the last couple of years. Because yeah. um, they've been really growing a lot they before They grew then. massively. Yeah. So from 2010, the cycle started, and it usually always starts in those areas. Yeah. They grew first. Peterborough was still in recession, in yeah. effect. Mm. And you know you had that, re- you know, the most valuable property in the country. So it's like London's its own world, it, <laughs> country. It, it's its own ecosystem. Yeah. And um, as that grew massively, and you know, it didn't just grow a few percent. I mean, there was huge hundreds of percent. It, it grew uh, from 2010, and it went too far, mm. probably. Affected by a lot of uh, overseas money coming in, do you yeah, think? Yeah, a lot of overseas money, uh, a lot of money that had been waiting around through the recession yeah. for the recession for the for the values to stop falling. Mm. Uh, interest rates dropped through the floor. You know, people needed a return. Yeah. It's very sexy, the trophy buildings. Yeah. Everyone knows it's the safest place. Well, you no know, one from Russia and Qatar wants to buy properties in Peterborough, do they? Well, so they want the trophy London buildings. A few of them are moving out now. Oh, all right, yeah. okay, watch this space then. <laughs> but yeah, most of them want the trophy stuff because yeah. they've seen it on TV. And, yeah. um, you know, they're, and often they're, they're, they're not that bothered there. about yield, are they? They just need no. to get their money out of the... need to get their money out and they see it as a very safe long-term, yeah. long-term thing. Mm-hmm. So very, very good growth. But in the last couple of years, actually it's been dropping back. Now, yeah. the trigger for that was... There were not only have there been changes to the stamp duty regime for buy to let, there were changes with residential properties in general. So, if you buy a residential property over about 930,000, stamp duty has gone up significantly. Right. And in London, you don't always get a lot for that kind of money. You That's do the point. here, but. That's yeah. the point. The stacks of properties in London over a million quid. Stamp duty on those properties is now eye watering. Yeah. If you're. If you're over about, I, I worked out the other day that uh, a property of, uh, I've, I've just moved into, or I'm just moving into my new um, home and the, the value will be about 1.25, 1.3 million. And the stamp duty on that unit to buy at that level will be 70,000. Yeah. That is tax just mm. to purchase that property. And to purchase it at the level that I bought it And you it get at, a lot for that money here as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you get stacks. It's yeah. like a seven-bed house. Yeah. But, you know, to, to purchase that property initially, you know, when, when, when we bought it, it, it was 600 Because obviously... So this links to number nine about why you like doing conversions. Yeah, exactly. Because so, the more you spend on the development, the less you're paying on the stamp. Exactly. So yeah. I, ended, I ended up paying, I don't know, 20... And you, you use your personal relief as well? Yeah, and, and ended up... I don't know, spending say 22, 23, 24,000 on stamp duty, buying at 600 and then, and then doing a But what happens version? when your fiance is in charge of the refurb <laughs> and the, yeah, the, yeah, well, the budget into, goes up a little bit? You get into a lot of trouble, a lot <laughs> yeah. of trouble with that. But the point I'm trying to make is that properties over a million quid, the stamp duty has gone up mm. massively. 
you know, it, it, it's, um, it, it has gummed the market up. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I... Um, I, Cause, I, cause I, just quickly, because what yeah. people do in reaction then is I guess they offer less to try and offset the not paying the stamp duty. Yeah, they do. Co common sense yeah. tells you if the stamp duty has gone up, offer yeah. less to accommodate the difference in stamp duty. Yeah. And so then it slows the prices down. Yeah. Well, in, in, um, in, in those kind of primary areas, you can be looking on purchases now, big purchases of spending 10% or more of the value of the property on stamp duty. I can see you don't approve by the look on your face. <laughs> Well, I started working it out the other day because yeah. I don't buy residential properties at that level. No. And um, makes you grateful to not be in London. Well, I mean, it's just it, it, it's just incredible. You know, yeah. you, you're in a 10 million quid place, and you, you, you're probably going to be spending over a million pounds in stamp duty. Yeah. Now, there's quite a lot of properties over a million pounds in London. Yeah. So these increases have have effectively gummed the market up. Yeah. In fact, I heard that last. Last year, there were 30 transactions over a certain level. Can't remember the exact number in Kensington and Chelsea. It's fallen off a cliff. Yeah. So that that was that was what kind of precipitated it. Yeah. And then clearly the, the market had gone too far in terms of the capital values yeah. anyway, and people were less interested. But they have for the last couple of years have been falling. Other areas where there's been oversupply. Yeah. You know, you, you might have the um, the Battersea Power Station or some of those kind of units yeah. they're, they're you know there's far too many flats there's a lot of new build and values are falling okay. in areas like so that so through 17 do you think that will continue or do you think that will change uh, I, I think there's probably still more stock you know than, than buyers a hell of a lot got built within london so um, stay the same or drop a bit i think or? it'll probably drop a little yeah. bit yeah okay i think there's there's still more stock it, yeah the, st the stock needs to be taken up before the values yeah yeah of course and because we're in Peterborough, which is only 75-ish miles, yeah. and it's 50 minutes on the train, yeah. and I live four, five-minute walk from the station, yeah. and my property's gone up nearly 20% since yeah. I bought it, yeah. and I bought it just over two years ago. Yeah. Now, I know it's the higher end, not the lower end, uh, so certainly, because it's funny how um, people think, I mean, I know we've just talked about London, yeah. but you were talking about specifically yeah. Central, but... Um, Everything seems to go at a slightly in its own little different cycle. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, the lower end and the higher end, yeah. a different cycle. Often yeah. the lower end is the first to grow, but to recover, but the first to fall because it's higher um, debt sometimes. Yeah, or it's probably area specific, but yeah. 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 Uh, and um, at, at that, certainly at the higher end in Peterborough, yeah. we're still getting quite a lot of growth. Yeah. And we're only 75 miles away from London that's done the yeah. opposite. And the lower end in Peterborough, I think mo almost all of it around Peterborough is still growing. Mm. But interestingly, A, there's the ripple effect. Yeah. So, you know, prices rise in London. It takes a while it, I for think that it to move out. years. does take years. Totally years. does take years. Yeah. Because what happens is, you know, you, somebody's living in one Acacia Avenue. Uh, let's say they're in Knightsbridge. Their, their flat's worth 500 grand. Two years, three years later, it's worth a million quid. Well, you know, that's realistic. That's yeah. the sort of thing that's happened. Things worth a million quid, you know. Suddenly they have a baby. They think, "Oh God, we need something bigger." Yeah. Uh, they have a look around and they want to buy a house, and it's two and a half million quid. Yeah. And five minutes ago they had in, uh, they were struggling to pay for something that was five hundred. And in Peterborough, you get a four bed detached with double garage for three hundred grand. So they move to Peterborough. But that takes time. It takes yeah. time. They move out, and of course, there's then a, a new buyer in London, you know, and maybe that's a foreigner or whatever. A lot of the people within London end up moving out mm. and commuting in because the, the prices are so yeah. 
you know, diverge. And, They're and, so different. And the more the price spreads, yeah, there's a differential. The more people you get relocating, and the less so, the less. Yeah, and then because they've uh, got the train fares and yeah. the, the time and the commute. Yeah, and then towards the end of the cycle, further into the cycle, the the prices yeah. they they don't come together, but. You know, there's less difference between London and somewhere like Peterborough or the Midlands or the North. Yeah, because people always talk about sort of the property cycle as yeah. if every area in the UK is moving at the same pace. No. Totally different. And yeah. I'm often very surprised how long it takes to yeah. ripple out. Because yeah. if you're saying London is, 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 has really been dropping over the last two years, so yeah. it's into its third year. Yeah. So we must be at least four years behind in Peterborough wow. because we're still... Could be. There's the, the other thing is the stamp duty, you know, the, yeah. the, the anomaly with the stamp duty. I, um, I went shooting on Friday and uh, I was there with um, a, a developer who builds big houses around, uh, around Stamford and, you know, not far from Peterborough. And his market is the million to two and a half million kind of range. And uh, they're new. He, he just builds new houses. And, uh, and he, he told me that those houses were not shifting at all anymore. Right. He said it, it, he's had to reduce quite a few of them. He said the market's dead at that level, all because of stamp duty. And he's moved to the, the 5 to 800, 5 right. to 900 yeah, because of stamp duty. Yeah. And he said that stuff's really going well. It's growing really well. But the stuff over a million quid, he said, it's not, it's not selling like it yeah. was. So we're not experts of Midlands, the North, because you know our areas are Peterborough, Mark Spins Affair, a bit of time in London. So we'd probably have to make a relatively generic statement on that. And many people who are there would know their market better. One would assume from what we're saying that it will take even longer to ripple out up North, perhaps. Always does. Still good yields up there, isn't there, from oh, what everyone tells me. Still great yields, yeah. but it, it just takes longer for the capital values to to adjust yeah. um, to what's been happening in the south yeah okay so before we move on to point three mark and i before we started shooting the video we're having a, this interesting discussion about the stamp duty and um, mark you just said something you said something interesting about uh, the gross receipts of stamp duty income has dropped even though in their wisdom they've increased the percentage of stamp duty yeah and this happens you know all around the world when um, when you put a tax rate up significantly, uh, significantly, it puts people off, and mm. they just think, "Well, sod it! I'm not going to do that thing. Why should I? Why should I give you know X massive percentage of of, of my work to the government? Mm. Uh, so they just don't do that thing anymore. So they get less activity. Yeah. So less people buy houses over a million quid, and um, you know less people buy the kind of properties or, or or the values of the properties that the government's now taxing highly." Therefore, the government collects less stamp duty. So this, in the infinite wisdom of increasing the stamp duty rates, they've collected less money. Yeah. So you said off camera before that you think maybe they might have to backtrack then. Well. Because they've the, lost money doing this. Well, the, the, clearly the pressure will continue to build on government from, you know, developers, homeowners, whoever, the public. Yeah. And, uh, and over, over time they're probably going to have to do some sort, make some sort of further change. Yeah. Now, they won't want to backtrack, you know, they won't want to be well, they accused won't, They of, won't want to lose face. Yeah, they won't want to lose face and, you know, be accused of, of, of backtracking, but mm. they'll, they're, they're going to have to do something, otherwise properties at the top end are yeah. just going to stop selling. Or yeah, they have stopped with, selling. It happens with continue. benefits, doesn't it? Yeah. So they, they uh, drop the benefits or the landlords move to private. Yeah. They increase the benefits, the landlords move to... Benefits. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, to be fair, I know we sort of said infinite wisdom. It must be quite a difficult balance for them to get right. I think it is difficult. And 
what, what makes it even more difficult is the politics that they are controlled by. Mm. These guys are playing to the gallery. Yeah. There, there are all these, all these people, you know, who they want to vote for them. Mm. And if, you, if the majority of the people who are going to be voting for you don't earn, you know, they, they earn a, a lot less and can't afford a million pound house, then of course they're not going to be voting for lower stamp duty no. on those houses and more stamp duty on the 100 grand, 200 grand houses. And they probably love the thought of the richer people getting taxed a lot more. Of course. Yeah. So it's politically popular. Yeah. If you look around the world to the, the states that, that collect the least in terms of percentage tax rate, uh, I don't know, somewhere like Singapore, actually their, their collection rate and the amount they collect per capita are some of the highest. Yeah. It, you know, you, you speak to people high up in HMRC and they say, you know, actually we'd love to reduce, to, you know, overall tax rate, just simplify them, and have a flat rate because we probably collect more tax and it would be simpler. Yeah. Uh, but politically, we could never do it because yeah. um, the majority of people, you know, who, who, are, who are effectively voting in politicians will, you know, will, will end up having to pay more tax because at the moment, the very rich are, are subsidising the, um, the, the, the poor or the middle incomes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So moving on to prediction number three is that uh, more landlords and property investors will move into property training. So Mark and I started buying properties together in 06. You were buying 04, 05. And then we got to about 20-ish buy to lets and then we wrote our first book jointly together and then we got about another 30 and we started running um, some education material online audio courses so we were about 50 properties ish once we started scaling that up and progressive properties become the uk's biggest property training company and uh, we have 105 trainers who train for progressive our, one of our companies uh, and so um, i predict i feel that there's going to be more buy to let landlords, HMO landlords, service accommodation, business people, commercial conversion exponents who are going to be sharing some of their knowledge, maybe writing some more books, rent to rent books are out on the market now. Uh, and there's going to be more people training. And I think that that has an upside and a downside. And I think that the upside is the access to information for all of us who are entrepreneurs, property investors, is quicker, faster, easier, better, and probably cheaper as more trainers come into the market. There's more competition in the education space, so that keeps prices you know, pretty um, competitive. There's one of our courses we run a four-day property investing masterclass, which the price hasn't gone up in the last seven years, but it's twice as long as it used to be. And that is you know, through to competitive market conditions. So I think that's a great upside. So new people getting in, there's going to be more educational choices for you. The downside is that there might be some people getting into education training that maybe haven't got a huge amount of experience yet. So if you're looking into getting training support and education in your property investing journey, make sure that you do your diligence on the trainers, make sure they've got a property and portfolio themselves and they're not just going in to jump in and you know, be a trainer because it's quite easy at the moment because if you think social media and all these online platforms and you know, all this new technology with Facebook live feeds and the, the ease at which video can be translated across platform just with an internet connection means far more people can communicate and build a following and build a brand. Okay, so prediction four is about 
where some of these single let investors who may be a bit disillusioned by single let or are looking for higher yields or returns might move. So Mark, have you got some thoughts on that? Yeah, I think they're going to be looking for higher yielding assets. So lots of people out of London are likely to move into the Midlands and further north for, for single lets. And then some of the people who are currently doing single lets may be buying more HMOs now or they might be doing serviced accommodation or things that provide them with a higher yield. Therefore, they're going to be able to, you know, have the money to, to pay this extra tax if they're keeping them in their own name. Or as we'll talk about shortly, they're going to be able to um, meet lenders' new requirements to, um, you know, to, to, to get buy-to-let loans because they're becoming more stringent. Yeah. Okay. So I've definitely seen a bit of a movement in people being prepared to travel. So something we've already always said in Progressive for the last 11 years is you want to buy as close to where you live as possible. Now, we don't com confuse that with local because, you know, if you live in Kensington, you can't get the single let yields. You might choose Milton Keynes or you might choose Peterborough or Stevenage or some people even will go up to Hull. Now, whilst I don't think it's wise to go from Kensington to Hull, people do do that because they're chasing the yield. And I think the important thing to say in, at the moment is there seems to be a little bit more of a movement of people prepared to travel a little bit more to get a yield. But you've got to factor in the travel, the opportunity cost of your time and the increased extra costs of more remote investing. And people don't put that, you know, like you see deal analyzers and spreadsheets. Well, people never put in their spreadsheet if they've got to go 40 or 50 miles further north to build their portfolio. They don't put in the travel time, they don't put in the extra management and maintenance. And I think that's really important. Can you also talk a bit about the extra demand for service accommodation and HMOs? Do you think it's there's more demand for that because of the buy-to-let changes? Or do you think there's more demand for that because of the supply and demand differential of too many people and not enough houses or both? Well, I think the that there will be increased demand for all categories of rental property because there is less supply because of these changes. So rents, you know, on, on most of these categories are going to go up. In terms of serviced accommodation, that's a little bit different. Really, that's more of a business, isn't it? It's more of a business and it's competing with the, the hotel space because mm. it's a nightly rental. So, you know, there is growth in that sector and, I, and it's not affected by these tax changes. And actually, serviced accommodation service accommodation isn't another uh, holiday lets um, they're, they're a, a separate thing so driven pr predominantly by Airbnb and yeah Air Air like that, Airbnb booking. and booking.com booking. yeah. those kind of sites so maybe you won't see rents in those areas rise so much but the cash flow and the income that a lot of investors are getting from those areas is already much much greater so um, mm. you know that, that that's that's becoming more and more you know, penetrative into our psyches. There are lots of people who would still book a hotel, but they wouldn't necessarily book a flat, myself included, yeah. when they go to a town, but more are trying it and liking it and using Airbnb and booking.com and getting onto it. So I suspect it will penetrate that way. Yeah. Do you think also the, the big differential between the number of houses that are needed and the amount of people that need them has driven more conversions and more room rentals? I think that's definitely the case. I think the, the, the housing crisis continues to grow. Yeah. Each successive government comes out with uh, you know, some am amazing plan that they're going to build this many houses or they're going to 
get the um, the housing associations to build X number more houses, or they're going to do a help to buy scheme. And yes, these schemes help. Yes, they push push it forward a little bit. But the key is the numbers. They're always quite small. They say, oh, there's going to be this many thousand houses. Well. You need 300,000 houses being built every year just to keep up with demand. Yeah. And we've got all the backlogs since the Barker report, uh, I think it was 03. So yeah. you know, this has been going on for years and years and years. The, the, the planning system is broken. Now, mm. something that could affect this you know, significantly, I won't hold my breath because, of course, politicians have spoken about this for a hell of a long time and then end up doing nothing, is, is the new white paper on housing. And that is due any day now. It, right. it was supposed to be the end of last year. They're talking about uh, it coming out in the early part of 17. That could deal with the planning system. It has the potential to do that mm. and to encourage a, uh, you know, a big house building program. But of course, how big that's going to be, what the numbers are, you know, whether they're just going to be tinkering around the edges and whether they like each successive government before them has... Um, you know, has done what you know if they they they, they effectively back out and, and 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 don't go through with all of the tough decisions yeah. and 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 push all the 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 focus groups and the pressure groups and all these people who are going to be complaining about this big building program in their backyard. If if they don't stand up to that and um, and and change the planning system and and relax a lot of the rules, then we're going to continue with the um, you know the the current low numbers of supply. Uh, new build supply, you know, versus demand, and you know, I think it's got a. There's a good chance that that it won't deal with it again, but it it, it could could bring some changes. Yeah, I also think that there's a, a bit of an acceptance of a lifestyle change, and if you think 80 years ago, how they built houses, how big they were, reception rooms, hallways, and everything else, and you look at how they're building them now, and new builds, they put three quarter length beds in, and they put mini furniture in to trick you into thinking that there's a lot more space. And of course, that's a balance of developers trying to make up for a better margin, because the days of, you know, a third, a third, a third are gone. There's no a third profit in, in new build anymore, so they all say. So the developers are always looking to stretch margin, and if they can reduce floor space, that's one way of doing it. But also, I think people are now more accepting of living in smaller spaces. Like if you, you know, Japan or some of these other countries where the population is massive, you remember when they had the hotels that they built out there and people would literally stay in a little pod and very much used to living in smaller space there. And I'm seeing a shift now that people are more accepting in living in smaller accommodation. And I just think the world is changing. You got any thoughts on that? Well, people who you're were, building smaller rooms, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, pe people who were were born in the eighties, nineties, you know, they're millennials. They're they're more footloose, yeah. first of all, and they have this attitude. You know, a I'm not going to save for a deposit because I just want to spend it on enjoying my life. And b even if I had the money, I don't want to buy because I want to be able to move around for work and whatever. I'm not interested in, in buying a house, or I will, but I'll do it much later. Yeah. So there's a definite shift there. The second thing because is... Because people have jobs a lot less now, don't they, as well? They jump jobs. They, they move around a lot more. Yeah. You know, the, the labour market is a lot more flexible. Mm. And, um, and, you know, people, people travel further and they work from home and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So I think people are more accepting uh, and more interested in renting. The other thing is that they, lots of people find living in a HMO or some sort of shared accommodation as more normal. And it's a bridge from going from living with your parents to a big house, isn't it? Yeah. Duh, duh, duh. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what we found is, 
you know, whereas HMOs and shared accommodation are cluster flats as, as, we, as we do them, whereas that might have been uh, low-end accommodation years ago, now actually there, must, there are some really nice, sexy, high-end mm. HMOs, which is pretty much, you know, we, we do quite a lot of those. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll roll the cluster flat model out where mm. we have 15 or 20 or, or in one, one case we've got 38 rooms in a, in a building. Obviously, yeah. they, they're split up into flats of six, so people don't feel like they're living with any more than five other people. But, you know, when you do something like that and you give them an ensuite and you give them a really nice spec and it's all cleaned and it's got Wi-Fi and, you know, they, they've mm. got a nice massive TV and it's convenient. Actually, they, they like that model. Now... You know, going through this year and into 2018, there are going to be quite uh, a few regulatory changes coming, especially for that kind of accommodation. I think HMO licensing is going to be extended across all HMOs of five or more people. At the moment, it has to be five or more people and of three stories. Yeah. Whereas, you know, there's lots of people, myself included, who would intentionally do a one or two story HMO so that you haven't got to go down the licensing route. Mm. We still do all the, you know, we put the fire doors in and all the overdoor closers and the smoke detectors and everything like that. So I think what's going to happen is there's been a consultation that's come out. You know, the government have, have asked for all the responses. Surprise, surprise, the consultation says that 80-odd percent people support the new changes. It all seems to be set up that way. Yeah. And the government say they're going to introduce a load of new licensing rules for HMOs now. And I think what that's going to do is it's going to force out a lot of the real low-end operators. Mm. The, 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 obviously, they're going to go right through the fire and they're going to make sure that things habitable and warm and you know, all, all the normal stuff. But in addition to that, there's going to be room size requirements. If there's no separate kitchen or living, if there is no separate lounge, they're going to require a minimum room size of 10 meters squared. Right. Now, we've been doing our rooms for 10 meters squared and we provide a, a lounge kitchen diner because I find it's easier to let and it, you get much more rent, you give them good quality accommodation, that, that's great. But there are, there are loads of rooms that don't meet that standard. So I suspect there are going to be loads of landlords dragged out by a lot of these new licensing regimes and, and regulations along with the tax changes um, that are coming. So those who are in the market want to do a really good product, want to do it properly, get it licensed, you know, and, and, and buying a limited company. Actually, I think your rents are going to go up and up mm. uh, and you, you're just going to have less landlords to compete with. Yeah. So I see that as a positive as long as you can move in the right direction and, and adapt to the changes. Yeah. We've always said if you do something better than your competition, it's probably going to have sustainability and longevity. So if you really good quality rooms, I know you, you've, you've gone much more higher end, haven't you, recently than you maybe did over the last few years. If you get a single let and you do, you do a really, really sexy three-bed council single let that normally rents for 650 you might end up getting £700 a month. Yeah. It's an increase of less than 10%. You do a really high-end room versus a, a pretty crappy room. A crappy room in Peterborough might be 350 a month. Mm. A really high-end room could be 550 Yeah. The increase is so much more. Yeah. It's more like a hotel room. Mm. You can you can drive the yield with good spec. Yeah. So it's worth spending the money. Yeah. And if you're doing a lot of rooms, you've got economies of scale of you know the furniture and the equipment yeah. and everything else. You do much higher end furniture. Put really nice floors in. You know, get an interior designer in to make it look good. Something I can't do. Um, so you decided to get married to one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
you can you, you can make it something that actually you'd like to live in. I, I thought to myself, if I ever got made homeless, I lost everything. <laughs> Go I'd, live in one of your own flat. Do you know what? I'd live in one of those rooms. Yeah. And, and and that was a bit of a turning point for me when I thought to myself, I'd live in one of these. Yeah. Own on Because you normally like to keep the costs really yeah. lean, don't you? Yeah. yeah. But I would. I would live in one of those yeah. rooms. And um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good benchmark. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thanks, Mark. So prediction five then is about technology and future tech, if you like. So something that didn't really seem to happen a few years ago was what's called vagabonding. So there's a book called Vagabonding, uh, and it's basically about kind of getting rid of all your possessions and living in a minimalist way uh, and kind of not having a fixed abode, if you like. And uh, there's a quite a popular podcaster called James Altucher, and he's kind of followed this vagabonding model. And he doesn't live anywhere. He has like five possessions and he Airbnbs and he just lives in Airbnbs and just moves from Airbnb to Airbnb to Airbnb to Airbnb to someone's house, someone's house, someone's house, little room. And there's a little bit of a sort of culture and a trend of that. It's kind of started in America and it's likely to move over here. And, you know, with Airbnb and sort of, it's not just Airbnb, but the, the ease of use of the app and, uh, you know, the internet things where pretty much everything that's got a circuit could connect to the internet and virtual reality. I think we're going to see more of a, a movement into some of these. They're not new technologies. I mean, internet things isn't new and virtual reality isn't new, but they're kind of new in the, in the sort of the more mature property market, if you like. So what some very progressive estate agents do, not, no pun intended, not progressive property, some very progressive estate agents are starting to do uh, viewings on Snapchat. And um, I predict, I don't think it's been hap- happened yet, but I predict that there will be an estate agent that will do virtual reality viewings. And imagine that, I know Samsung now have a virtual reality headset that you put your phone in like that and, and you get VR. And imagine the convenience of you being able to do viewings in a, a VR headset, which of course, as the technology develops, that'll get a lot, a lot more realistic. They're even talking about having the smells come through. If you're a deal packager and you sell deals, imagine how convenient that's going to be for you to be able to go and film around the uh, property. You've probably seen those 360 degree uh, videos you can now do just from your iPhone on Facebook. Uh, And then you're going to be able to do viewings for all your potential buyers of your package deals through virtual reality. So internet things, virtual reality, further growth in the app-related systems like Airbnb and Booking.com, etc. Uh, many people now, if you look in the property forums, they're running remote property businesses, and they might have their properties in their local area. They might have them up north if they're down south, but they're able to run most of their property portfolio through their phone by using all app-related inventory systems and note and file sharing systems and to-do lists that are shared uh, between people they might have on outsourcing websites. They might use virtual assistants. So I think that this is, I mean, that the progressive people, you know, the innovators, they're already doing this and they literally are already running their life and their business from their phone. Mark and I travel quite a lot and, uh, you know, I only really need this all this uh, for uh, to run a business, and I think we have 72 staff at Progressive Property and Progressive Property Let's, and and we're able to run that business from anywhere in the world. And I think that a there's going to be more tools and apps and tech for you to be able to do that. 
And B, I recommend that you get more into doing that because I think there's a big difference between a landlord and a, an investor. And a landlord is someone who's very hands-on, you know, very up to date with the laws and the contracts and how you should be. And, you know, maybe even some of them manage the properties themselves. And, you know, they might have a small portfolio, five, a dozen max. And they're very hands-on and it's quite a time-consuming thing. And then there's the, the investors who are looking for a bit more leverage. Maybe they use letting agents and they use the progressive letting agents and they embrace all of these apps and all of this technology. And they get to a point a year, two years in, where maybe they don't need to do as much day to day as the landlord. You know, they might only have to work 10 or 15 hours a week instead of maybe 40 or 50. Now we all know you have to uh, work hard enough not to have to work hard. So it's not like you're, you know, sitting on a beach, drinking pina coladas and, you know, all the money rolls in, but there's pretty much an app and a piece of new technology for everything you want to do in your property business so that you can have a lifestyle business rather than be a hands-on landlord. Okay, on to prediction six, which I'm going to be handing over to Mark, and that is on the change of lending criteria. There's some movement there, isn't there? So what's happened is the the um, as I think as part of this onslaught on landlords, where you know taxation's gone up and and uh, they're, they're talking about bringing more licensing in. They're also making the lending standards more stringent, and the the Prudential Lending Authority uh, have said that. Banks need to stress test the income, i.e. the rent, to a higher level when deciding whether to give a mortgage or not. Basically what it means is you're probably going to be assessed with some lenders of, of needing a rent of 145% of the mortgage payment, but they're going to assume a mortgage payment of 5.5% right. instead of the current 2.5%. And what was this um, ratio before 145%? 125% yeah. of pay rate, which might be 2.5% right. mortgage. Massive. It, yeah. it's, you know, on low-end properties, it, it'll mean a 20 to 30 grand increase in, or should I say it'll mean a 20 to 30 grand decrease in the amount of mortgage that each lender will provide. Right. So these rules have come out. Lots of lenders are still at 125%, but most of them are calculating the rent stress on 5.5%. I've seen a few in the fours, and that makes a very big difference. So there's the, there's been this shock, certainly on the, on the lower end stuff. The mortgages are, I'd say, 20 grand less than they, they were six months ago in terms of the amount you can borrow up to. So the loan to values are basically coming down. So I suspect as the year goes on, you'll probably see some new lenders and, and maybe some of the lenders will spot that there's a bit of an opportunity here because the rules aren't completely set in stone and I think some of the smaller lenders may find ways around them. So there's been this initial shock, you know, lending's changed quite significantly, but I suspect that may ease up as we go into 17. Okay. I mean, lending does kind of periodically change, doesn't it? And uh, initially some changes like this make it look like it's going to be really hard to get money, but the banks need to lend money, don't they? The banks have to lend money and um, that's their business. They're making money out of, uh, of, of, of lending you money. Through the credit crunch, they had less money and of course they were lending less, yeah. but they still had to lend. Yeah. They still had to make money and they wanted to write new loans. They just did them only to the best borrowers mm. and found excuses with uh, lots of the population not to lend to them and just, just to pick the cream out. Yeah. So do you think then moving through 17, 
if it's 145% ratio on most with most lenders, do you think there'll be other lenders trying to find a way to lend you more or make it easier? Or do you think it'll be harder? Well, I think it'll be harder. Initially um, or through the whole year? Well, I think all through the year it will be harder than it was in 2016. I think that's, sure, that, yeah. that's for sure. But I suspect it, there will be more lenders, maybe smaller lenders and new market entrants, finding a way of basically increasing the loan to value and, and, and relaxing the rent stress in some way. You can already see a couple of them trying to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I suspect there'll be more products through, through 17 as we go through. Okay. Generally, when lending is harder, prices are softer. So do you think that will be reflected in values? Do you think prices will soften? No, because no. buy to let might be, let's say it's fifteen percent of the market. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's twenty percent. I don't know. You know what what percentage is, is mortgaged properties, but it, it may be around that zone. Yeah. So if that if the if the market's only say fifteen percent of you know all the properties, well, it's probably not going to have a massive effect. It will have a big effect on how many landlords buy yeah. properties to rent out because they need bigger deposits have a big effect on that. Yeah. But the wider housing market is, you know, it's the, the, the biggest portion of it is still the owner-occupier yeah. and will be driven by the lending that they can obtain and the stamp duty on it and their income and how good they feel and the economy. The economy is still growing. You know, people, unemployment is still low. Wages are rising. We're seeing that here in, in Progressive. So I, I think capital values will continue to grow through 17, maybe not at the levels that they were in 16, but yeah. I suspect you're gonna get 5% capital value growth again in 2017. Okay, something we did see when we had the last recession, property correction, when the, the lending reduced quite significantly from the banks, is we saw more private investors, private individuals, high net worths, even sort of mum and dad money coming into the market. So if the banks end up lending less, or it's harder so they lend less, do you think maybe we'll have more private finance coming into the market or maybe an increase in crowdfunding or anything like that? I think that's inevitable whilst interest rates stay so low. Yeah. If lenders won't do it, then, you know, if a lender's only going to lend 60% loan to value or 50% loan to value, lots of people might go and borrow the extra 20 or 25% of someone else on a second charge and mm. maybe pay them 5%. Yeah. That's going to be quite an interesting product. I suspect if that's the way it goes, then there'll be, there'll be lenders out there that will do that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. See, see, something I've seen over the complete cycle is sort of people think that there's more money or less money. And of course, when the recession happened and, you know, our banks went bust, you know, the, the banks lost the money. But Money doesn't just sort of evaporate out of the world, it just moves, it just goes into different places. So generally I've found when banks lend less or it's harder, there's other disruptive lending. You know, we had the Bank of Dave, didn't we? You know, and we had all these crowdfunding platforms. And certainly I saw many more what you might call non-professional or non-sophisticated investors lenders coming into the market. So many people you heard borrowing money from their mum and dad or things like that. So um, it'd be interesting to see, of course. I don't think I'd like to predict on whether we'll see a lot more of that, but certainly what you see with money is, it's very liquid and it moves and it flows. And it, I wouldn't want anyone to think that if the banks are lending less, there's gonna be less money. It just might come from a different place.
Moving on to prediction seven is the one that everybody's been talking about, and that's Brexit. So, Mark, conversation. What do you think Brexit, the fallout, what does it mean? What do you think might continue to happen through 17? I think the, the main differences for us as property investors are the amount of Eastern European tenants that Brexit will will create for us or will, you know, the amount of Eastern European tenants that will reduce as a result of it. Mm. Certainly in the run-up to the vote, there was a record amount of Eastern European immigration into the UK up till June 2016. And around the vote or immediately afterwards, some of the local recruitment agencies who take those kind of people in, you know, and, and put them in the picking fields or in factories or whatever, said there was definitely a big dip. But actually, you know, the, the, the evidence that we're seeing within our letting agency and, and talking to other investors is that Eastern European immigration is, is rising again. There may be less Polish, but there are, for some reason there are loads of Bulgarians and Romanians coming over now. Right. And um, what they're trying to do is, is, is beat the deadline. They're still, we're still in the EU, in yeah. the UK. They're still allowed in. So those who were thinking about coming in, lots of them, are, uh, are, getting are getting in now mm, because, yeah. um, you know, when we Brexit, according to Theresa May, that's going to be the end. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to take Eastern European immigration, according to her. We'll, we'll see what actually happens because I don't think they've got a clue what's going to happen yet. But yeah. she, she's effectively saying there's not going to be this open door immigration policy. It's going to be a points-based system. They're going to have to have qualifications or be bringing something to the country in terms of a trade or, or whatever. So they're not going to be able to come in. So. These, these Eastern European investors, a lot of those rent rooms, rent houses, all that sort of you know, stuff that landlords are interested in. So clearly that, that fuels rent rises and reduces the amount of properties uh, available, you know, which is probably quite good for landlords and quite yeah. good for investors. So what will Brexit mean? Well, clearly it's a very, very long-term mm. play. We, we, it could take 10 years to come out. Because there's a lot of fear... Yeah. And a lot of noise and a lot of doom when it yeah. happened. And I don't want to undermine it by saying I felt it was a storm in a teacup. But what I did feel, because the pound did go down and there was obviously some import-export challenges and everything else, and things did change, but I didn't feel it was as really as bad as what a lot of landlords or you know people who are more sort of pro-business thought. What are well, your thoughts on that? I think it wasn't as immediately right. bad as... A lot of, you know, as, as the media would have had you believe or the politicians on both sides were trying to get us to believe. You were shocked, weren't you, when it happened? Yeah, no one, you know, most of the establishment thought it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So it happened and the immediate effect was sterling went fell through the floor, the stock market fell a lot and there was a, there was a shock to the system. Yeah. But, you know, very quickly that recovered in terms of the stock market. In fact, the stock market's way higher now, yeah. so there's 7,200, than it was pre the Brexit vote. So the immediate impact was was actually much reduced. Yeah. But we ha we still haven't come out of the EU. No. So the, the impact of Brexit is still unknown, and it's just going to take a lot longer for this stuff to play out and for us to see the results. Yeah. So, so that... That was, you so know. The, the, are you recommending carry on doing what you're doing and you, watch? You just I mean, you can't on. sit on your hands forever, can you? Can't you? sit on your hands. Then you just crack on because we've no idea what the results are going to be. The politicians don't even know what Brexit looks like or how long it's going to take or what the EU will accept, you know, or the other member states will accept. So why wouldn't you just carry on? The, the UK economy 
This is no exaggeration. The UK economy is the fastest growing developed economy in the world today. Right. So, you, you know. And is that a good thing? Well, I think it's a great thing. We, our economy is in excellent health, it's in rude health. Yeah. You know, it was before the vote and that has continued. So, you know, it, it um, you know, of, of, of the advanced economies, we're in the best shape at the mm. moment. So, you know, that's likely to mean continuing wage increases, probably unemployment reducing, you know, for, for, for the foreseeable future, you know, more economic growth, which in the long term can only mean price rises, you know, rents go up, house prices go up, you know, prices in the general economy go up. Mm. So I think the UK generally is a great place to invest. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned a bit about there may be a reduction in immigration. Is that going to affect maybe HMOs and multi-lets? Many people in many areas have a lot of Eastern European tenants. Do you think it might have a, any impact in that sector? Well, it could do, but again, it's just unknown. Mm. So far, it's having no effect. In fact, the stacks coming over, we're getting you know houses and, and rooms let to um, to English people and to you know Eastern European you know people who have immigrated recently from Eastern Europe. So you know there's still plenty of them. Mm. So that remains to be seen. Yeah. But, you know, there's such a supply issue. You know, there's not enough properties coming on for rent or to buy. Mm. So I can't see it being a, an issue in, in the foreseeable future. Yeah. Okay, great. There, moving on then to number eight, there were some changes in the laws around letting agents and fees, weren't there? Yeah. So A, can you tell us what they were? And then B, what do you think that means this year? So again, this is a big announcement from the government. We're going to ban all, all, all tenants' <laughs> fees. So... Basically, letting agents can't charge fees to tenants. This is what the government say they're going to do. But of so, course, so to be clear, they haven't done it yet? The government haven't done no. it yet. Because as soon as the government say they're going to do something, a lot of people think that means they've done it or they react like they've done it. Yeah, yeah. but they haven't done it. And importantly, the devil is always in the detail yeah. on these things. So they say they're going to do it. So what have they said they're going to do specifically? They say they're going to ban all fees which letting agents charge tenants. Right. So the tenants are just going to, you know, or it seemed like, because of course it was a bit of a headline, it seemed like they were just going to be able to charge rent and nothing else. Yeah. And of course, letting agents have to charge fees for, you know, when someone makes an application, take mm. an application fee, they've got to reference them. Yeah. You're not going to let anyone in your property. There's a cost to referencing. Mm. There's, um, you know, maybe tenancy renewal fee. Well, there's a cost to the letting agent putting that tenancy renewal together. All that sort of stuff needs to be paid for. So the the government's come out with this headline. There are loads of tenants. Oh yeah, playing to the gallery. You know, lot, lots of um, lots of the voting public rent houses. They go, well, that that's good. You know, these nasty landlords. We need to um, control them and stop letting agents charging me me um, tenancy fees because they're too high and some of them may be too high but of course the market has to react in some way and if letting agents and landlords can't make money either a they won't do it anymore or b they'll just put their prices up because mm. it's a business and it has to be profitable or the amount of the, those people offering that service will reduce until the price reaches a level that makes it attractive again yeah which basic economics basic mm. supply and demand so the market, you know, will, will change. And you've already heard statements from different sections of the government saying that, well, actually, we might allow some letting agents fees 
as long as they request, as long as they reflect the cost incurred in providing the service. So maybe an application fee, you know, costs the letting agency 50 quid. So they'd be able to charge the tenant 50 quid, but nothing on top. Mm. Um, so that, to me, is already a, a Which change. Which be difficult to police. It will be difficult mm. to police, but I, I think most letting agents will comply. Yeah. You know, we'll have to comply. All, all the kind of bigger ones, you know, the, the, the well-run ones will, will have to comply. But the first thing is, what are, what are the rules going to really be? And, and are they going to be watered down? Probably. The next thing is, there's often a sort of workaround in these situations. This has been going on in Scotland for some time already. Letting uh, tenancy fees in Scotland are already banned and have been for some time. Yeah. Letting agents have other mechanisms to recover those fees from the tenant. They might call it something else or they may end up charging some more rent or whatever it's going to be. The letting agent is still going to want to recover that from somewhere. And the landlord, again, needs to be paid for you know providing the service. They've got a mortgage to pay, all that sort of stuff. So... You know, letting agents are looking at the Scottish model at the, mo uh, at the moment, quite a few of them, including ourselves. But in addition, they're waiting to see what the rules actually say. Because, um, you know, once, once it's clear what the rules are, they'll, they'll know exactly how to react, but they'll, they'll get the money back somewhere. Yeah. Okay. So final two then, nine and ten, are around two sectors within the property market that we've seen significant growth on and you and I have moved into is service accommodation and commercial property. And of course, there are different types of commercial property. Specifically, we like the conversion projects. You referenced that earlier. So let's finish on those two. So let's start with the service accommodation. Do you think that area is going to grow this year? And have you got any thoughts on just what might happen in 2017? Well, I think service accommodation will continue to grow because more people, you know, become aware of Airbnb. It's still penetrating. It's still growing. It's like Uber. Mm. You know, it's a new thing. It's disruptive. It's disruptive. It's like, you know, Steve Jobs dies. You know, the Apple iPhone continues to grow yeah. and, and more people continue to buy. And you kind of think, well, Steve Jobs is dead. But of course, they had all these little places in China still to penetrate that probably mm. hadn't even heard of an Apple iPhone. Massive momentum. You know, uh, massive momentum and all, the, all these developing countries that still hadn't bought it. Yeah. So, you know, you've got all that, that pipeline and that, that growth, inbuilt growth that, that's, that's just waiting to happen on, on Airbnb or Booking.com. Mm. Um, so serviced accommodation will continue to grow. Clearly there are some, you know, legal challenges or some you know, kind of rules that are going to come in Airbnb in London are limiting, you know, short tenancies or limiting the amount of time that you can rent your property out for on Airbnb if you haven't got planning permission. That hasn't happened across the rest of the country. It could come in, who knows? Yeah. But lots of people will apply for planning permission, get change of use or, or whatever. Mm. So I think that will continue to grow for sure, along with the, the HMO sector. Yeah. I'm really interested in the tech side and our study the companies and the CEOs behind these kind of platforms like Airbnb. And um, there's quite a lot of talk on possible plans for Airbnb to go into real estate. So there's um, discussions that maybe Airbnb will become a real estate agent or they'll sell property if you think they're quite well positioned for that. There's also um, talk of these. Are, I know that these are very um, nebulous stage at the moment. Also things like concierge. I mean, if you imagine you're going to service accommodation and you can have a concierge service you know, from the train station back and forth, almost sort of like an Uber service for Airbnb, or there may be a JV there. There's talk of you can go on Airbnb and you'll be able to ask what's in the fridge and have some little add-on services. So I think what Airbnb can do, 
not just reach more people who can rent out rooms in their houses or reach more professional property investors who are buying properties specifically for HMO uh, and service accommodation. There's more that that service can add on for you as a, you know, as an end user. And also it's in a way it's good because it's disrupting the hotel business. So it's going to make the, because hotel prices, they got pretty high in London. They went mad. <laughs> I remember what, seven years ago when you know, I used to go down and do events, 100 quid a night, you'd get a great Five room. Star. Yeah. You, you get a really good room for 100. Yeah. And now? 300 quid, yeah. you know, for, for, a, for, for a five star. The Premier Inn, uh, you know, at the um, next to King's Cross where we do a lot of our events, we're booking the staff in at 170, 180 yeah. pound a night. Yeah. It's unbelievable yeah. the, the the price growth over the last ten years in hotel rooms, especially around London. Yeah. I mean, a premier in here in Peterborough is 70, 80 quid now for a mm. tra travel lodge type of accommodation. Yeah. There's been huge growth. Mm. And, and normally, what you find with a lot of these technologies, like say Uber and Airbnb, is they grow because they disrupt a niche or an industry that hasn't been disrupted for decades or has got a bit lazy or has got a bit expensive, you know, like with taxis. I mean, it, it was the service of the ta taxi companies just never really changed mm. for decades. And then all of a sudden they came in and the drivers are in suits and you get bottles of water, you know, and, and they're polite. And I'm not saying that all taxi drivers <laughs> well, aren't. I'm well, not. But, um, they know the way around the black cabbies. But they, they do. Yeah. And many of them are great, but they not do. all of them. They're not all polite. Of course, then they've got yeah. the review system, which means yeah. they've got to be polite. Yeah. Uh, I, I've noticed even the black cabs now, they're saying, now please, they've had to please, up their game. please and thank you. And mo a lot of them are being a lot more polite because they're yeah. competing with, yeah. with the likes of Uber, so, which is, you know, in many ways, it's great for the yeah. consumer. Yeah. So this is pr likely Airbnb are going to continue to disrupt hotels, bed and breakfast, all of that. And so, you know, you might see a drop in those prices. You might see, um, you know, an increase in the services across the board. All right, then. So as a business person or a property investor doing service accommodation, do you think that you'll see more people getting into that? Because, I mean, look, if you can get 100, 150 quid a night in a unit, you might have got four or 500 pound a month. You only need a few nights full. I think that's absolutely true. I think there will be more people. You know, the tax changes will be the first thing. They've got a flat and all of a sudden they're going to be paying a hell of a lot more tax. But A, serviced accommodation is excluded and B, they'll be making potentially a lot more cash flow on it. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of people attracted because of that. I think there'd be a lot of people sort of attracted because they found out about it, you know, and the, the extra revenue that they can, they can glean from, from that sort of uh, accommodation. I also think there's a lot more systems which are being built to deal with serviced accommodation like Kigo, yeah. where, you know, the, the rooms are, are managed and there's, you know, an accounting system and all that sort of stuff. So mm. there's a lot more back end and it's becoming more normalized. There's also like cleaning services and people like that specifically. We, for, which historically. Because that's the hard bit, isn't it? That can be the hard bit yeah. along with the, the, the sheets and change, yeah. changing all that sort of stuff. And a really important part of this is the lenders. Because, mm. of course, you can't just take your flat that's mortgaged with, I don't know, the mortgage works and rent it out, you know, on a serviced accommodation basis. Mm. But I know of two lenders who will accept serviced accommodation units now yeah. uh, as long as you can prove the rentals that you've been getting show them the evidence you know mm. over a period of time they'll lend against them yeah. so I, I see that as a mm. really positive step i think it's really important in property to have at least half an eye maybe one eye on tech 
the future and the, the, the more innovative and disruptive strategies. I think it's I think you should be very careful, not just go and sell all your single letters and dive into service accommodation before you've tested them. Do one. Yeah. Do one. Test and, one. And test it for six months, get all the evidence, make sure it works, and then move them mm. over in, in stages. Yeah. And then you can go big when, you, when you're absolutely sure it works. But don't, you know, do them all on that model because, like you say, you know, regulations might change or, you know, there may be some... Some councils get fed up because their hotel, lots of the hotels are, rooms are empty or, or whatever. Things change, don't they? So yeah. you don't put all your eggs in, in one basket. Yeah. And on this note of sort of the progression of the property market, which to me seems to have in many areas sped up a bit in 2016, I feel. Do you think there might be some landlords are going to jack in, buy to let? I don't know, maybe they just want to sell their property and get out, sell their portfolio, sorry, and get out because of these tax changes, or they might want to move more into HMOs and service accommodation. Do you think there might be some portfolios to snap up? I think most landlords, most landlords will not have the time or the inclination to go and start doing HMOs or serviced accommodation. We love doing that, our community loves doing that, but they're hands-on and they're interested. Most landlords are passive investors. They don't really get involved. Mm. Maybe they rent it, you know, maybe they manage it themselves, but a lot of them just use a letting agent. Those people are going to be the ones that haven't been to see the accountant, maybe don't qualify for a lot of these reliefs. They're going to probably wait till the end of 2018 when they put their tax return in for, for April, April 17, April 18. Uh, and they're suddenly going to notice that they're paying a bit more tax or they won't. And it will get progressively worse into 19, end of 20. And, and then I think it's 2021, where the full effect of this is going to be introduced, because it's only 25%, 50 75 you know, 100%, the effect of this is coming in over four years. So I think more and more landlords will progressively see that they're in this hole, and they're paying more tax than they're getting an income. Start asking their accountant what's going on. Their accountant will say, well, these are the new rules. And quite a lot of them are just going to throw the towel in yeah. and just say, I want rid of my portfolio. And if they've had a bit of growth, that helps with the decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, most of those guys are going to have had really, really good growth mm. over the years. So they're going to exit. Some of them are going to be forced down that road because yeah. they're not even going to have the, enough money to pay the tax. Mm. Some are going to get repossessed. And, um, you know, you're, you're likely to see whole portfolios yeah. coming on the market because of, of, of this change, because the government is effectively uprooting you know, all of those private buy-to-lets that are in individual names, corralling us all into limited companies. Maybe they think they can control and maybe they think they can tax those better. Who knows? But a lot of people, they won't do that. And mm. they'll end up losing their portfolio either by selling or, or you know, maybe the bank will, will push them over and, yeah. and make them sell. And you're going to see portfolios come to the market. Which could be a, a good opportunity to buy them. There's a great opportunity there. Yeah. You know, I... I I generally don't buy individual units because of the amount of time involved. But you know what? If someone brought us a portfolio of 50 properties, I'd be quite interested in that. Yeah. Because I could put a lot of capital to work quite quickly mm -hmm. uh, and it's a much better use of, of time. Yeah. I'd be really interested in that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then finally, let's talk about commercial conversions. You know, recently over the last two or three years, there's been some planning relaxations. You and I are predominantly now buying commercial and changing the use, you know, developing flats and rooms. So do you think that there's going to still be more opportunities to convert change of use? 
Yeah, what do you think? Well, there's less office buildings available now than there were in 2010, 11, 12, because a lot of them have been converted, but they're still coming on. Mm. And but that's obviously in Peterborough, that, not necessarily UK? Well, across the whole UK, okay. but you know, certainly in Peterborough, there are less. It's just, just, just a fact. So but does that mean we did good to get in and did, do it while we could? It was a great thing to use those permitted development rights yeah. to convert office. It doesn't mean to say that there aren't more offices coming on, because mm. there are. There are still offices coming on, and you can still convert them, and you can still make money out of yeah. them. But there are still loads of other buildings coming to the market that require planning permission in the traditional way, like pubs or like, you know, old nightclubs, loads of those, mm. or care homes or, you know, community buildings, all this stuff, which we buy a lot of, which can be converted into, say, rooms or flats. So yeah. there's still a big opportunity there, and that will just continue yeah. as, as the use, you know, dies out for whatever it was that it was being used for. Generally, commercial buildings over time against inflation drop in value. Yeah. Whereas residential rises, it's a weird thing to get well, your head the, the, around. The thing is, a residential use, for 100 years, it's the same thing. Yeah. But commercial, all the fittings, the fixtures, everything else, 10 years, it's all out of date. Yeah. New aircon, new lights, new everything else. And, and it's more of an income-based thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is an income-based thing. So because commercial depreciates uh, towards, you know, and, and towards the end of its life and, you know, it's worth less, then that means often you can buy, buy, really cheap. buy them cheap and then and then convert them. Mm. In so it's the change of use that gives you the best leverage. The change of use gives you great leverage. In addition to that, I think there's new stuff on the way. I think there are new permitted development rights coming. Right. You know, for new, more use classes. You know, they, they, they obviously already did uh, offices. They did agricultural buildings. And there was B8 use as well, some warehousing and, and some retail. But I suspect some of those areas will be extended into possibly 17, 18. But critically, this white paper that is coming out on housing shortly is clearly looking at planning as the central pillar of you know, reform in the housing market to ungum it and to create more supply and, and and, and goes go some way to, to, to fixing the housing crisis, you yeah. know, creating availability more homes. So I, I think a big part of that planning relaxation will be more permitted development rights and really allowing developers to take existing buildings and convert them into residential. Yeah, uh, and something that's rarely talked about, about people, which would probably be a, a, a good thing to finish on, is time use and opportunity cost of time and leverage of time and you don't really like doing single lets anymore because it might take you 10 times as long to do 38 single let units as one building you can convert into 38 individual units, for example. So do you think people should be thinking about more about how they value their time or the opportunity cost of their time doing something else? I think it's a massive part of any business and your life. You, you need to be looking at what you're spending your time on through the day and creating the maximum income generating time. So, yeah. you know, what, what, it, what are you doing for this hour? How much income does that generate you? Mm. If you're doing a big building where you're converting 20 units and it takes you 10 times as long as doing one single let, well, you've achieved 20 times the results mm. probably and more, yeah. you know, but you, you've only spent 10 times as long. Yeah. That's got to be a good return yeah. on time invested. And, I'm always focusing on activities like that because I realize the biggest bottleneck I have is my time. Mm. Whereas years ago, it used to be the money to do something or the idea or, you know, having the experience. Yeah. Now it's my time. Right. Okay. Thanks, Mark. 
So I hope you enjoyed our top 10 property predictions for 2017. We'd love you to give your thoughts. Let's have a discussion. Do you agree with any? Do you disagree with any? Have we missed any that you might want to add or are there any you want to discuss further or you want to get any more information on? So if you just search Progressive Property or Rob Moore, or Mark Homer in Twitter or Facebook. You can find our various pages, groups, communities. We have podcasts as well, if you search our names that you can find. Uh, and so we'd just love to keep the debate going and hear your thoughts too. So Mark, thanks for investing and sharing your time in the predictions. And um, yeah, let's keep the debate going. Thank you very much. <laughs>